HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On a very special food-only episode, I chat with two of my closest friends about their entry into the culinary world after a professional career in the music industry. Our guests are Travis Hayden, who is a music business industry veteran turned chef. He works in a Michelin star restaurant and is the founder of Cali Bolo and El Traviso Burger. Luis Saron is a Mexico City-born, Vancouver-raised tour manager and restaurateur. His restaurants under the Trocadero Group include Frito y Cuel, Luis Pizza, Curran, Jefe San Ramen, and the soon-to-be-open Distro. We talk about lessons learned from the music industry, how they made their pivot, and how the pandemic actually provided interesting opportunities for them to grow in their culinary careers. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one happier host, Greg Bresnitz. On a very special all-food episode today, I have two of my favorite people in the entire world joining me for what I could only describe as a they must hate me because they're going to go have fun together and I'm not there, upcoming pop-up in Mexico City. Travis Hayden, Luis Saron, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're going to get to the upcoming pop-up, um, which is the second uh, this year between you two, but I'm going to go back before before there was food. What's so interesting about the two of you is that you both got your start in music. That's really how I, I came to meet both of you. Um, uh, Travis, we'll, we'll start with you and then Louise follow up. Can you just give a little bit of background on how you got started in music, um, what your kind of early days were, and you know, what, you, what you did in the industry? And we'll start with you, Travis. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, I started off moving to Los Angeles from Washington State when I was about 18 or 19 with my best friend and we couldn't find real jobs and ultimately ended up being party promoters. Um, I don't know if it was really part of the plan, but you know, we were having fun and at some point that became a job. Um, I think it was about 19 when it became serious and I always had a 
big love for music and I always wanted to work in music in some capacity and I played music as a teenager and so with this party promotion company uh, we started a record label and had some early hits with our signings and then I used that to kind of just um, go into different um, careers within the music industry. I ran all of the dancing electronic music at Atlantic Records. I started my own management company where I managed a lot of DJs and producers and ultimately merged that into a bigger company and it turned into a pretty long career within music. Amazing. Luis, same question. Uh, I started... Well, I started doing parties in Mexico City with um, my cousin and his best friend. We were about 15. I was like 15, 16-year-old. And so we did that, lots of like DJ parties, very underground. And then through that, uh, they, they established a, a magazine. And then through that magazine, I started shooting uh, photographs for them. So I started going to a lot of concerts and things like that. And afterwards, just started starting to be in scene. Uh, one day, I went to a party and I met this band that I really liked. <clears throat> and they had just fired their tour manager, and then they asked me if I wanted to go on tour with them. So I said, "Yeah, sure. I have nothing better to do." And through that, they just afterwards asked me if I wanted to become their Latin American booker, and then. I said yes, and they put my information up on MySpace, and then all of a sudden all these fans started writing me. And I started booking a bunch of shows through Latin America, and that's when I set up a booking agency for that. And then later in life, I just kind of transitioned into tour managing, and that's what I still do to the state aside from, uh, from restaurants. I mean, also had a, a very short-lived career as a DJ, which lasted for a couple of years, but it kind of hit the point where I either had to commit to DJing or I had to commit to my artist, so I decided the second part to do it, and then, yeah, that's where I'm at now. You know, I've faced a very, very similar crossroads where people were like, are you calling me to be on stage or behind the scene? And I was like, behind the scene. I don't think I can make it as a DJ. Uh, what are some really good food stories from your music dates? Any, anything come to mind? Um, I've, I mean, I was lucky because with music, I was able to travel the world and see a lot of different places. And um, with that, there were, I, I was in some pretty unique situations. I remember, um, having a layover in Narita airport in Tokyo. That was, it was about five hours, maybe four. It was enough that we weren't able to leave the airport, but I just had to stay there and I was eating and I saw all these people wearing bone thugs and harmony, um, sweatshirts and sweatpants. And I ended up sitting with them and I asked one of them, like, you guys are bone thugs and harmony, obviously. And they're like, yeah. And I ended up sitting and eating ramen in the Tokyo airport with Busy Bone. Um, so there were a lot of experiences that would happen like this, and it was just by virtue of traveling all the time I'd find myself in these really interesting situations. Luis, you had a couple of good travel stories too, right? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, thinking about airports, I think a lot of stuff always happens at airports. I was finishing off a tour in Miami once, and I was at the airport, uh, super hungover. And I was at a really bad burger spot. It's one of those where you can, like, make your own burger, and they just kind of do whatever it is that you want. And I remember just, like, seeing at this guy really suffering eating his hamburger as well. And I was like, I know who this guy is. So I was with my then-girlfriend, and I was like, who is this fucking dude, and why don't we recognize him? Or why don't I recognize him? And she's like, you're a fucking idiot. That's Chris Cornell. So I just kind of, like, got up, said hi. He was very nice about it all. He told me I looked hungover. I told him he looked hungover as well, and we just kind of laughed, and then I went my way, and he went his. So that, that was kind of like a cool one. But I, I feel like it's really easy to bump into random people at airports. So, yeah, that, that's a good food story that I have. Uh, you know, I, Luis, I didn't know your transition to food as well as I know Travis. Um, Travis, you know, full disclosure to the audience, is one of my lifelong best friends. But I always saw that Travis, you know, was great at bonfires, always really loved to cook, but, you know, wasn't quite sure um, when the hobby became a profession. Uh, Luis, I'll start with you. You know, what, what was it that began, I mean, and we, we've had some amazing meals together, drank a ton of mezcal and wine. What was it that brought you more professionally and full-time into the food industry? Um, it was basically pandemic, you know, uh, 2020 was supposed to be a very big year for us uh, with Kuko, where we were going to be traveling worldwide and doing some pretty uh, extensive festival touring. And all of a sudden, this kind of happened. And I found myself drinking a lot of mezcal and eating a lot of food at this dive bar that we used to own, which was like the only thing I'd ever really opened in the restaurant service industry but we we used that bar more like as a hangout place for for our friends so it was never really like a profitable thing it was more like oh this is really fucking fun to do and we're we're just going to keep it alive as long as we can so we have like our own little private watering hole and then sitting there and just trying to figure out what else I was going to do in, in the meantime while like things picked back up and whenever they did pick back up uh i started seeing two friends of mine which were like i was basically just seeing a business partner of mine and two of these friends and they had a fried chicken concept and then i was like well i know how to do this like we ran a bar forever and i know why it wasn't profitable it's because i had no time to do it and we were just kind of like playing around with it and then I was like, maybe I can get really serious about this. And then we started fundraising, like, in the midst of a pandemic. And next thing you know, we had one restaurant. And then through it, other people started uh, approaching me based on what the concept was with the dive bar that we had owned, which used to be a, an American Legion. So that's a whole story on its own. Uh, an American <laughs> Legion in Mexico City, which is super fucking weird. And... Um, yeah, so then people started approaching us. We ended up being approached by a hotel group, which I shall not name. And that just kind of, yeah, that, that kind of lit the fire in me. Then through it, I, I met uh, our, my now business partner. His name is Raul. 
and he's a he's a chef that was brought into my life through my other business partner Erich and yeah once I had him in front of me and I knew I had this little lab like kitchen lab geek I could do whatever it is that I wanted that's when we really really became serious about the whole thing and started opening up all these spots we're going to get to those spots um, after our break. But, Travis, same question to you. What, what was it that took you out of uh, you know, a long, long music industry <sighs> career and pointed you towards the culinary world? Um, it was a bit of happenstance. You know, I had been in this career, and in my music career for so long, and I was unhappy with it, and I was looking for change. Um, and when I decided to make change in my life, I didn't know that it would necessarily be cooking. I wanted to try a multitude of things and take a year off. And, you know, really the idea was to be happy and, like, find that part of myself again. Um, as far as, like, cooking goes, I'd, it's something I was uh, always loved to do. And, you know, I really wanted to figure it out and I, in this year off I just what I, my goal was to become a really great cook and just really enhance those skills and so but I also did have an itch to scratch and that was seeing what a commercial kitchen was like so um, I was able to scratch both of those itches by going into a commercial kitchen learning how to cook and seeing if I liked it. And, you know, once I got back there, I'd never set foot in a commercial kitchen or worked a service or anything like that. But once I got back in there, I, I just absolutely fell in love with it. And instead of exploring all of these things that I wanted to do, I was going to travel the world in my year off. I just doubled down and stayed in the kitchen and I haven't left. No, you haven't. Um, both of you, you know, firmly planted now within the restaurant industry, but it'd be remiss to say that there aren't a lot of crossover between food and music that we have touched on at infinite times on this show and in our book. From a more kind of professional work uh, situation, what are some of the lessons that you have carried from the music industry into the food industry? Uh, Travis, we'll start with you and then Luis. And for me, you know, in the beginning, I didn't see a lot of parallels. You know, it was this tactile experience. I was working with my hands. I was learning these new skills, and it was all about learning and, you know, adding to my repertoire. But as my career in food evolved, I found that um, a lot of the business side actually applied to the food side, and, you know, just in terms of logistics, as I became there, as I was given more responsibilities, you know, things like um, being very proficient in Excel became very handy. I, when I worked in music and doing business, I lived my life in Excel. It was formulas. It's how I organized my life. Um, now it's the same as far as like recipes, scaling, um, and just staying organized. Like, all of that stuff is incredibly helpful and it gives me an advantage over other chefs and, and people and, and just general logistics. I think you um, come to the plate with a different um, set of skills and able to look at something, you know, maybe in a, in a way that someone who has only cooked for their entire life has. 
And Luis, what about you? Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with the Excel sheet. I mean, I live by by Excel sheets. I literally see it's probably the first thing I see in the morning, and it's what I'm, uh, I have my face in most of the day, whether it was in music or now. And, um, and now I think also what it's, it's really helped manage the vibe of a restaurant because I feel like, you know, uh, being on tour, it's, it's having to manage a lot of personalities and also people that you have to sometimes cater to and, you know, taking, taking control of when someone should not be there and doing it in a tasteful, classy way rather than, like, creating a scene. So it really helps also with the front-of-house management stuff, being able to create a good vibe within the restaurant, uh, being able to lead the team on, empowering them as well. So, yeah, I think a lot of that, the hospitality skills that I learned from working with artists, I've been able to translate them very well into what our front-of-house should feel like. And then also, like Travis said, like the backbone structure of, you know, just being really organized, being able to do strategies and everything through an Excel sheet. So, yeah. We're going to take a quick musical break, play a song from our archives, and we'll be back with Luis and Travis here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. All right, so. There's like wires dangling in the pizza pies. Is this a good tempo? Is this how you guys roll every day? Wow. It's amazing you guys aren't fat.
just are slowly, slowly coming into view. The images are slowly, slowly finding out for once I know there's less to view. life. What's more is looking the for images me. Are slowly. Wondering what might come my the images are slowly. Won't be long, best just to gaze and daze and fall to dream something familiar. Mm-hmm. It's all, 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 all. It's It's all, it's all, it's all, or nothing. The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. We cover avenues for accessing grants, loans, and financial services through federal and local government programs, as well as via nonprofits. We examine the benefits worker cooperatives present to workers, communities, and our food system, and share resources to learn more about operating under this model. We're talking to business owners who started pop-ups and became permanent during the pandemic to see what we can learn. Don't miss these episodes. Subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to TD Bank for supporting this programming. The pandemic obviously had a massive impact on the restaurant industry. Both of you took it head on. Uh, The weeks of opening all the restaurants and Travis with, with Cali Bolo. Uh, Luis, you, you touched on that you didn't just open one during the pandemic, you, you opened many. Uh, for the uninitiated, can you give a quick rundown of the various restaurants uh, within your mini but growing empire? <laughs> yeah. Uh, first, we started with Frito y Cruel, which is a fried chicken, fried cauliflower sandwich concept. And the front part is the fried chicken restaurant. In the back, we slowly started building uh, a speakeasy, which is now open, but uh, obviously we couldn't open it. So it gave us time to be able to to build and to really give it a a nice concept. So that was one of them. Then we opened a pizzeria, Loose Pizza. It's a New York style pizza. And then from there we moved on and we we signed a deal with, uh, with a hotel and we did three concepts there. We did a little bodega, and uh, which was just kind of like a sandwich shop. And then we had our main restaurant, which was Olympica, which served uh, Mexican cantina-style food. 
And then on the rooftop, which is where we did our first pop-up with Travis, we had uh, a safe, which was a terrace that overlooked Mexico City. We grilled tacos up there, uh, TJ-style tacos, and just kind of like threw little outdoor parties once uh, it was permitted to do so. So that was really nice, cause especially like coming out of a pandemic and then feeling safe. That was good. And then through it, we just kind of fell out with the hotel for financial reasons with them. And uh, through one of our pop-ups, we actually met this chef. His name's Siete Sanchez. He's cooked at Pujol. He's cooked uh, for Edo Kobayashi as one of his head chefs at uh, Iwashi. And he did a... His name's Siete Sanchez, and he did a, a little sushi pop-up with us. And we just kind of kept talking with him about it and finally Dexter asked him how much would it cost to do this and he gave us a number and I had the number in the back of my head and early June I was driving from Frito going home and I saw this basement spot that I'd always wanted and I called about it saw it the next day by the third day we signed the lease and then uh, we started building and we opened that in July and it's this small Omakase, it's called Corin. Uh, it has a it's a basement. It has a small sake bar at the front, and then it has a little private room for private parties. And then in the back we have uh, no makase seating for seven people. And then through it we developed it, and with people being able to do so many things outside now and being able to set up a full restaurant seating literally on the street in Mexico City, kind of like New York and LA are doing. We we had already came up with the idea of we're going to open a, a sushi spot, but we also want ramen. So the idea was to create this little ramen cart, kind of like in Japan, where you're able to show up starting at 6 p.m. up until 2 a.m., and it's a late-night ramen joint, which is called uh, Hefe-san. So we just opened that this past Saturday, and right now we're just really doing a, a big push for it to to become a thing and so far it's doing it's doing really well so that was fun though being able to play with the concept of setting up a, a street cart which i think in any other circumstance that wouldn't have been COVID, we would have been able to do it and then through weird things in life within the same building there was another spot right next door to it and we were leaving the hotel and i know dexter was really was really hurt because the whole concept of Olympica was his, and that was his food, and it was him returning to cook. So I just kind of had a sit down with him, and I said, I think we can be really smart about everything, like the fish that we have right now at Corin, and you know, a lot of it, like 99.9% of it, needs to be fresh. So anything that isn't fresh anymore, we were starting to throw away, and then we figured out how to throw it into ramen cart, and then. Now I'm like, we can figure out that fish and be able to continue to give it life at the bistro. So we're opening a small bistro next door, which we're calling Distro. We changed the B for a D because of Dexter. And it says return to the kitchen. So that's what we're building out right now. And I hope we'll have it ready by the end of September. <laughs> I mean, I mean just, it's just incredible. Uh, Travis. Similar, similar scenario with you, you know, you were cooking at Rustic Canyon for a long time and obviously that shut down uh, and you had the brilliant idea 
to do a pasta restaurant. Um, what was the name of it? Uh, and tell me a little bit about it. So the name was Cali Bolo. Um, the genesis of it was Family Meal at Rustic Canyon. You know, when I first started as a um, young cook there, or young in my career, I uh, wanted to impress everyone when you cook Family Meal for everyone. It's kind of, that's your spot to shine. And so I wanted to make bolognese, which we always called bolo in the kitchen, and I wanted to make it the best bolognese possible. So I just researched and I did a meditation on bolognese and how to make the most flavorful, best-tasting bolognese possible. And I really refined it there. Um, when the pandemic happened, or when it began, you know, I wasn't working from March till about November. And, you know, eventually uh, I got bored and I needed to do something. And I, um, in the beginning, I wasn't confident that I, um, that I could put something together like that. And eventually I just did it. And it was well received, um, the, you know, and it just it kept selling out. And so every week, I would just keep doing it and building it. And the idea was simple. Um, it was just it was meal kits. Um, a lot of people were ordering Italian food during the lockdown, but by the time it got to you, it had been cooked, and it gets to you, and it's cold. There's cheese on it. It's like seized up. And I remember getting one, and I just. It was so disgusting. The cheese was seized up on top, and I just slid the whole thing into the garbage can. Um, you know, and I wanted to provide something, an experience for people to have restaurant-quality sauce and noodles fresh um, without suffering th through that. And it's pretty easy to cook at home. You boil water, put noodles in it, heat up sauce in a pan next to it, put the noodles from the water into the pan, add a little butter, and that's it. So, um, yeah, and that was the beginning of it. And then, then I started adding to the menu. I added desserts and salads, and that's where it's at right now. Incredible. Just really uh, amazing, you two. And I think if we've seen anything, there's been a lot of different industries that have been affected through the pandemic and, and thrown for so many loops. But time and time again, chefs and restaurateurs and the restaurant industry are just some of the most innovative dynamic, resilient people and just what incredible stories to come out of come out of this you know, businesses that would have just not not otherwise happened. Which yeah, leaves it, us go uh, on. that's actually um, that's what brought Luis and I together professionally. Uh, Luis had never Luis and I had been friends but he'd never had my food and he was in LA and he ordered Cali Bolo a couple times and, you know, the idea in the beginning was that I would go down to Mexico and do Cali Bolo as a pop-up, but it was difficult for me to find a way to um, do like a pasta delivery service in Mexico as, as a pop-up. And concurrently, I was working on a hamburger in my free time and just trying to develop what I considered the best hamburger for me, which is obviously a very polarizing and personal subject. But uh, I had this idea for a burger, and that's, um, that was the next step with all of this. Yeah, so uh, tell me about the other, and, and both of you can just kind of fill, fill in for each other, but we already did one. Tell me about the upcoming pop-up. Uh, when is it? Where is it? Um, 
what's what's the deal? What are you serving? Um, and and Luis, what are the people asking for? Uh, the upcoming pop up is September second, and we're actually going to do it at the ramen cart because uh, I think from the last time that we cooked up the terrace, I think both of us really wanted to keep it like open air and make it like a good hangout. And now that we're in Roma and not subject to being in a hotel. I feel like we're the the concept basically is is to have like a really fun neighborhood to hang with all of our friends and for Travis to be able to cook and basically have more being able to reach out to more people because it's in the hood and they'll see him there cooking and you know we'll we're gonna be giving out free wine and just really trying to make it like a neighborhood family day and for people to start tasting this burger because, I mean, me, me and Travis are very much talking about the, the possibility of not, of, of making this pop up a more permanent thing in Mexico city. And chef, what are you serving this time around? So we're going to do um, a smash burger. Um, it's a double smash burger, aioli, um, buns toasted in clavering chili butter. It's, um, yeah. Um, and then we're going to do some, uh, potato chips as well. Um, you know, it's, for me, the idea is to keep it simple. Um, you know, a lot of people really complicate burgers, but when I was developing this hamburger, it was, it, it didn't need to be complicated. So it's a simple burger that tastes great. I really wish I could have it again uh, when we were there in May. It's just it's so good and so delicious. I'm I'm quite jealous for all the people that get to get to taste this. Uh, final question for both of you: What do you get from the culinary world that you could never get from the music industry? Uh, Luis, we'll start with you. A full stomach. It's it's <laughs> literally crazy the amount of times I've gone. Uh, basically a full day without eating and being on the road. So definitely that food. And I, I get a sense of, I think I get to enjoy more the, the happiness that it brings in people rather than like in shows, like it's in shows you just, you can hear it, but you can never really see people's faces because it's always a, a dark room that just repeats itself night after night after night. So you know, like people might cheer and everything, but you never get to see the the show a person can put on by eating their food. And when you can see someone's face, like I see it a lot, especially with uh, with Siete. We have this, uh, the, it's our last role of the 16-course omakase, and he serves this nigiri, which has uh, a flamed eel with melted foie on top. And when you see people eat that and just that they're about to cry, that's the type of emotion that I never got with with the music industry and touring. It was really being able to see face by face how you touch someone's heart and someone's stomach. So, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, for me, I mean, on a personal level, cooking is something that really satisfies all of my senses in a way that working in music never did. Uh, you know, it's like I said earlier, it's this tactile experience where I'm working with my hands and I'm allowed to be creative in a way that I couldn't be while working 
in music. Um, you know, and, you know, back to what Luis is saying, you're really nurturing people and to see that and see people enjoy something that you're, that you've created, that you've put on the plate. There's nothing better than that feeling in my opinion. Well said both of you. Um, where can people find you? How to get a hold of you? Where can they get more details on the pop-up? What's the information? Uh, they can for the pop-up. They can find us uh, on Instagram at Hefesan. That's J E F E S A N, and also at Kuren K U R E N M X. Yep, and we'll post everything on my Instagram as well, which is Travis Bradley Hayden. Thank you both for making time uh, out of your very busy schedules. Um, we are going to just play one more song from the archive and leave you with this very, very magical pairing of friendship and food on a special episode of Snacky Tunes here on HRN. We'll see you next week.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.